everybody. Welcome back to the Rogue Grounds podcast. Kyle from Stall Grounding. And today we have a guest, Clay Guider. So Clay and I didn't get to meet last week when I was in Iowa, even though I brought all my portable recording stuff. So take it away, Clay. I guess uh, kind of say what you do, who you are. I mean, obviously me being a pioneer dealer, uh, we, we have a little bit of a at odds. So yeah, so uh, Clay Guider, uh, Grundy Center, Iowa, uh, seed corn capital of the world, even though I'm pretty sure there's like like uh, four self-proclaimed seed corn capitals of the world. Um, yeah, just small business owner, uh, next generation ag. We sell uh, uh, Beck's um, 360 Yield Center, um, as well as uh, um, have a partnership with uh, Precision Planning and Yetter Dealers. So. Um, been in the business about about five years, but kind of really seen it ramp off here in the last few. But uh, just yeah, just kind of trying to always look for agronomy like minded guys, farmers, um, and uh, really hone in on on the agronomics of of how we increase yield and profitability through that would be probably my best explanation. So yeah, and I I'd say so. I've done three different career moves in my career and it, it almost takes like three years before things really hit home um it's always like the first year or two you're trying to figure out where your what your direction is and what you're doing and then like year three is like okay this is working and then <laughs> yeah then it didn't really takes off and then you're like oh crap how am i going to keep this up especially when uh you know i i mean i've worked for two companies and then my own now and it's like every year you have a really good year and you double your sales which Mm -hmm. has happened to me three times now they're like well can you double it again oh man it's like you know how hard it was to double it the first time (laughs) seriously um yeah i was gonna ask you when we were over that way um so have you ever gone to the grundy county auction (laughs) Dude. <laughs> so I was actually as as a young kid, um, I mean, I just assumed it was Grundy County, Iowa. And then I, I think I was about eight when you know I tell my dad, you know, man, I can't believe they wrote that song for us. And he's like, Yeah, there's actually like six Grundy counties across the US. And I crushed. <laughs> I was devastated. I, I <laughs> I thought John Michael Montgomery had had personally written a song about this little bitty county in Central Iowa, like <laughs> thirty-five hundred people in it. I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, it was it was interesting going out that way uh, last week." And uh, I think if you get, uh, I came down twenty, and I came across on some a little bit on thirty, and then yep. I ended up in Colfax at Johnny Max on uh, I eighty, but. Seemed like 20 and 30. And then if you go north at all or west, it got pretty dry. Um, we yeah. were really dry until, uh, let's see, I got home Thursday night. And then Friday, it started raining here and it hasn't stopped raining. It's pretty much rained every day since. And we're up to, I don't know, some places are over like five or six inches here already. Oh, wow. Did you get any wind the other night? Yeah, we've got... Um, I want to say Friday night was probably the worst night. Uh, last the night before last, so it would have been Monday of this or what Tuesday of this week. We're uh, we had like one hundred and twenty five thousand people without power in the area. 
Um, oh. I think they got it down to like 60, but I told my wife, I was like, yeah, I think the, uh, the lack of storms all year is basically we would have normally had this over the course of the summer. And now that we had one major wind event, now everything that was kind of hanging on is all falling at once. <laughs> I forgot to put my phone on uh, vibrate. So that's fun. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's been, see, it's been pretty, it's been pretty crazy now that we've been getting a ton of rain, um, uh-huh. kind of going from, I don't even remember what mud looked like to now it's like, oh crap. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been kind of crazy coming back and, and seeing all the rain. Um, I had a guy post on Twitter, uh, called me the other day and he's like, I can't believe your beans went down that you sold me. And I'm like, didn't you call yesterday and say you had 80 mile an hour wind gusts in like six inch <laughs> rainfall rates? Yeah, but I can't believe they're not standing. Like, what? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> it's kind of like last year when the ratio went through and people were like, I, I can't believe my corn fell. Well, your stuff's terrible. So is every other seed brand across the industry. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally. It's just, yeah. just not. It's your stuff. It's not everybody else's stuff. What the heck? You, I only bought from you. <laughs> oh, man. So, no, yeah, I, I do not envy the wind. We, we recently celebrated the one-year anniversary. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it was like two days ago. Um, and I, I talked to Johnny Mack. So, Johnny Mack is the pioneer dealer in Colfax. And he said they had some of the effects, but he said if you got north at all, you know, I know Marshalltown got nailed. Um, yep. Yeah, and it's a... He said they had some, but you get north and it was pretty bad. We we didn't get the wind last year from that. Uh, that storm, the wind kind of stopped just west of us, and then it the rain went south, and uh, we ended up with just insane yields last year. Um, I don't know if our yields are going to be terrible this year. I kind of told guys I think it's going to be average. Um, it might even be a little above depending on how Greenfield goes and you know, we got six inches of rain should be enough to get us through most of Greenfield now. So. Yeah, I would, I would, I would certainly think so. I mean, what, what stage is a lot of the corn at right now in your area? Yeah, I'd say we're probably mid dough. Um, I haven't had anybody see any dent yet. Um, so, I mean, we're really right in the middle of that. We haven't. So if you get from my house in North, we didn't see the tip back yet as much. We saw a little bit, but you get down south of my house at all, uh, maybe more than five miles, and they were just, I had corn that was four foot tall in some places. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's pretty dry down that way. So it, they're probably not going to have a normal year. They're going to have, um, you know, one 130s, 140s probably. Uh, hopefully farm averages are better than that, but. The other side of that is when insurance date sets, those guys might make more money on the insurance if they get lower yield. So uh, it's kind of like, yeah, let's hopefully fill our contracts and then get some insurance money. Um, you know, is the difference in those geographies, is that uh, lighter textured soils down there? Yeah, so you get right along I-94 and north is heavier clay and then some blacker ground. You get south of here, and we moved to some prairie soils and they're great soils. Uh, we get a wet year and they're usually really, really good. Um, 
but the problem is they have gravel bottoms. There's a lot of gravel pits south of here. So once you get, really? you'll have a really nice soil. Uh, we could have some Pella or Plano silt loam, um, but it's got a gravel base to it. And we have the best soil type. And then it's, you know, when we don't get any rain, there is, there is nothing there. Oh man. Yeah. Like you could what have, depth is gravel at? Yeah, that's. It's kind of crazy. I mean, you get here in North is all a, um, there's a limestone quarry literally a mile from my house. Um, and there's limestone quarries all over the place. And then you get South and there's nothing. It's just all gravel. Oh. Oof -da. Yeah. 130 corn. Like, man, like you'd be doing something wrong in these geographies. <laughs> corn. So I had a lot of guys have their best, farm yield average ever last year and i'd say most of those guys came in around like 210 215 okay yeah so like an aph year is in the 180s for okay. the last five or six years so we i mean we've had some really good seasons um 18 and 19 were terrible but i mean 18 the yield was fine but just getting that stuff out of the field was a mess but 19 was a just a junk year uh, 2020 was probably our best year we've had across the board. Um, we were looking really good early to hear. I, I thought we were going to have one of the greatest years we've ever had. And then the rain shut off in June. They said, uh, I want to say yesterday they posted a thing and basically it was, we've had, I think Milwaukee had three inches of rain in 48 hours. And that was more rain than they had in the previous 48 days. Yeah. Yep, that's pretty representative of, of here, too. I mean, you know, we had, you know, you made that joke about forgetting what mud looks like. So, um, yeah, probably around Memorial Day here, um, you know, we got an inch and a half of rain. And, you know, we were out taking some emerge and snow boats and, and some really stuff like that. And, and me and intern that set our mud boots in the office and she just came back and picked them up the other day. She's like, Oh, I kind of forgot about these. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> we got, we got uh, about four inches of rain last Saturday night. Um, and that had been the only measurable amount over a half an inch, you know, since Memorial day, you know, we'd get, I guess I take that back. We got a couple inches a couple weeks ago and that was the first kind of rain event. But the crazy thing is, is it's, I mean, our profile is just so dry. I mean, four inches of rain and the next morning, you know, I was making dust on the gravel roads. It's just so, which is good. I think it's completely infiltrated, you know, the, the profile, but um, I definitely think it costs some yield. I don't know what you guys are seeing over there. You know, I, I think we gave up probably two kernels around on average. Um, and, and there's a little bit of dirty nose. It's not terrible. Um, in in kind of kind of farms farm specific hybrid specific but um i think we can finish well i think grain fill is going to kind of tell the story at least for us but um yeah it's farming's you hate to be you hate to be married to the weather and there's things you can do to mitigate that but at the end of the day if god doesn't give you a rain you know it's yep set, so yeah and i so that the kind of interesting thing for me was I spent, I don't know, 12 years selling um, Monsanto beer genetics. And then I, I've moved to a different platform and 
there's a lot of guys we we kind of have and I, I would imagine it's not terribly different that way um but we've had a little bit of a monopoly of co-ops have kind of retailers here co-ops have kind of controlled the market for seed uh, for the most okay. part so i've had a lot of guys that had one genetic family on their farm basically for the last i don't know 10 15 years and okay. now we're kind of getting them a little different look and you know we at least in our area uh it seems like the pioneer genetics we sell are a little bit more drought tolerant have a little bit better stay green and we get a little bit longer grain fill um yeah. you know i'll give up a point of moisture if i'm going to pick up a couple pounds of test weights and mm -hmm. you know five or ten bushel and that's been kind of interesting to see guys kind of change that focus a little bit um i don't know if you guys have ran into the bourbon stuff now um it seems like retail is really moving that direction and uh i think we had a comment yesterday i was talking to one of our one of our uh, reps that we work with and i just said I'd really be shaking in my boots if I was a bear uh, sale rep right now or a, and like a territory manager or anything like that. I, It's kind of scary to think how much the seed market's changed in one year, pretty much here. Sure. Yeah. I would, I would say um, out here. So same thing. There's, there's still a few. Um, I mean, this is pioneer country. Um, a lot of strong independent reps out here. Um, and then uh, retail kind of pushes the majority of the DeKalb Asgro brand. Um, I would I would only affirm, you know, even through different relative maturities, you know, the, the Corteva genetics do seem to have stronger, stronger plant health. Um, yeah, just like what you said, you know, late season stay green. Um, and I, I think as we continue to manage corn, more intensively, um, you know, having a, a living plant through black layer, you know, is, is going to be huge. Cause you know, when I think of the Corteva genetics, you know, whether they're in a Bex bag, whether they're in a pioneer bag, uh, Bravant hasn't really taken off yet, I guess in this area, but, um, I mean, dude, kernel depth, man, like, I mean, like whether it be, um, Pioneer 1366 or, or, you know, like a, like a back 6256. I mean, I think they're getting a lot of yield around, um, you know, kernel depth and in grain quality. Um, those, those decaled kind of die and dry genetics have, have really seemed to have taken a step back in this area. Um, I, th I think, <laughs> I think a study came out um, basically that concluded that Iowa was the slowest state to change. So, you know, there's still, you know, as far as changing practices and, and whatnot in the, in the corn belt. So there still is a lot of, a lot of decalb sold through, through retail. We, we don't see them maybe to be as dominant as, as you described, you know, it seems like um, decalb is a method to get on the farm so that eventually we can be quoting, you know, they can be quoting in hydrous and dry prices, yep. you know, I mean, I mean, a strong retail egg outlet out here is only going to sell like two to 3,000 bags of corn, <laughs> you know, and there's, you know, like, I won't mention the name, but one of the major grain merchandisers that also is in agronomy, you know, I mean, there are sub 1,000 unit corn dealerships. Um, yeah, and that's, 
that's yeah. something I've, I've kind of harped on a little bit. I mean, when I worked in retail, we always talked about leading with seed and that's just kind of the way that they always kind of went. We didn't make a bunch of money on seed, but that was just like you said, it's kind of our pathway to get on a farm. Sure. Um, same thing with soil sampling. I mean, most co-ops hate soil sampling. They don't want to do it, but for them, yeah. the soil sampling leads to the fertilizer sale, which leads to chemicals, which can lead to seed. And that's kind of the only reason they do it. And a lot of them don't do a great job of it. They do kind of an okay job, but for them, that's, you know, that's their pathway to get on the farm for other things. And yeah. I mean, they'll either discount it or they'll, you know, they basically do whatever they can to use that as a tool to get on a farm and trying to explain that to guys, they don't quite understand it. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a little different. Um, <laughs> the one thing I've noticed in the last, so I've, I'm going to, I'm old. So, um, I'm not even that old. It makes me feel a lot older when I talk to guys That's lately, but um, when I first started, so in Wisconsin, at least, a plot winner for us was like a, anything I wanted over 200 bushel was pretty close to the top of the plot. Um, yeah. And when I was in school, management for corn was, we want to see a little tip back just because that means our populations were pretty close. Um, we always wanted to see a little bit of nitrogen deficiency show up because that means we were closer to that economic nitrogen levels. And when, uh, when things have kind of changed in the last few years, we've been pushing and pushing and pushing more, more yield out of this stuff. I think a lot of those genetics we were planting the last 10 years aren't really set up for the management styles we have. I've got guys that, you know, we, increased populations. We've been trying a bunch of different things. We just can never break a, a certain yield barrier. And then when we switch genetic families, it's been kind of like, well, what the heck have I been doing the last few years? Because now all of a sudden I got 20 more bushels and all the management I'm doing is actually starting to show up and respond. So it's, sure. it's kind of funny to think that maybe, you know, we've been trying narrow rows, we try higher populations, we're trying higher nitrogen rates, we're trying all these different things, and we weren't seeing a ton of yield difference. And then we go to a little bit more of a, a less, less defensive varieties and more offensive. And all of a sudden, some of that stuff kind of gets unlocked. And maybe we have to manage it a little bit differently. But we're gaining those bushels that we were looking for the last five or six years. Um, it's been really different, but that's definitely something I think is going to be happening pretty quick here. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think, you know, corn is, corn is king, you know, in, uh, yeah, you know, I, I even reflect on the last five years, you know, where we were in, in where we're going. Um, 17, 18, 19 were, were great years, but um, in our geographies, you know, you could about, you could about go to the bank or, you know, renewing your operating note with 240 as your APH. You know, we have seen an incredible amount of, of, uh, yeah, just, just increases as, as, you know, the management practices. I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's not too many people, there's not too many acres in Grundy County that, that, you know, fungicide and even, you know, premier branded fungicides, like, you know, multiple MOAs, like, like Veltima, you know, I mean, it's, 
that's really kind of hit hit a next next gear, as you would say, you know. And I think, you know, everybody talks about the pursuit of 300. I don't think we're that far away, you know. I think, I think, I think the most attentive guys are going to be the ones that that get there first. But I would I would only affirm what what you're saying as a whole, you know. I I tip my hat to a lot of the genetic suppliers, you know. The the corn revolution is real, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and um, you know, I'm just really excited to move forward with, you know, just, uh, I mean, our weak, our weaknesses are getting that much less, you know, as seed suppliers, you know, as we look at relative maturities, you know, I look at our lineup next year and it's like, there isn't a weakness, you know, there's diversity in traits, genetic platforms, maturities, management styles. It's the, it's a great time to be farming and growing corn because, um, you know, I mean, it's you've got a lot of choices, which I think we need. You know, that's good. So, yeah, I think the biggest struggle we have now as farmers is basically weed control and managing insects. Um, it, it's yeah, funny oh, how yeah. we basically had those licked when I first started because we had Roundup and Roundup was still working and we had <laughs> traits finally and traits were working. And when I came out of school, um, you know, we were scoring roots and doing all those fun things back in the day. And now we're back, you know, 14 years later, I'm going to be scoring roots again tomorrow. And I haven't done that since probably 2007. Um, and I've got, you know, we're, we're talking about residuals and soybeans, which we never really did that much before. And, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy to, you know, it, I don't think you've been around and I definitely wasn't around when Roundup came out. And, you know, there were stories of people spraying the wrong field and, you know, smoking a field of soybeans. I haven't seen that in my entire career until this year where I've seen fields of beans to smoke. Somebody put Liberty on Roundup Ready beans and I had guys get enlist put on their extend beans. And yeah, it's just kind of crazy to see that coming back. And it's, it's funny how things kind of go in cycles and, Oh yeah. It's yeah. What, what's old is new again. Um, you know, that when I first started, it was no till. And then, then it was, we got to go back to vertical till and then it was deep tillage. And now we're trying to play with cover crops and go back to no till and strip till is a big thing. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, just always seems like, you know, if you want to be the new and cutting thing all you got to do is look back 20 years and be like wow all right mold boarding sounds really good let's try that <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that fertilizer deep right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i got guys that talking about doing that trying to manage uh, water hemp and i'm like yeah that's gonna work for about a year it, it was crazy um Vex is actually doing that in pfr i mean and they're taking a multifaceted approach i mean i think i think a universal uh, thing that we can all acknowledge is, um, you know, and with, with Bayer and FMC um, announcing, you know, some totally new herbicide MOAs, you know, that gives us some optimism, but um, I, I don't think it's going to be exclusively, exclusively chemistries that, that fight this battle against weeds. So one thing that was neat that, that Vex did in the PFR last year is, you know, they did both, you know, cover crops like cereal rye. <laughs> if you talk about mold boring, um, burying that seed deep, I think they did have like 92% efficacy against water hemp 
that mold boring, mold boarding at like eight inches or something like that. Just getting her, getting her down, down there. I mean, which I don't, I don't know how much I'd recommend that, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you think it's going to take to um, stay ahead of, of kind of, well, I guess what's the trouble weeds in your area, Kyle? So, I mean, we don't have any Palmer here yet. Um, so, and we went from, I think when I first started, it was basically ragweed and now we're, you know, we're basically in the water hemp game. Water hemp and mare's tail are two weeds. So mare's tail is our no-till enemy pretty much. Um, yep. And then any tillage is basically water hemp. And we're in that, we're kind of in that discovery stage with water hemp. Um, I, last year I had some guys had some issues and we changed some programs from last year. Those are my cleanest soybean fields this year. Um, uh-huh. The guys who didn't think they had a problem last year, those are my worst soybean fields this year. <laughs> and it, I think it takes one year of kind of having a, a near disaster to kind of open people's eyes. And I know next year it's going to be a lot of different management changes and there was some grumblings. Um, I was talking to a chemical rep yesterday and it's really, really sounding like extend um, that technology is going to be a pre-emerge only option for next year. Um, yeah, that doesn't and surprise that, me. <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be about half the market that's going to be really freaking out on that one. Um, yeah. I don't know the direction we're going to go. Uh, and I think, well, I've talked about this. I posted a video the other day about, the scary thing for me with extend is if we lose extend and we lose dicamba and corn, I'd rather we lost extend and we could keep dicamba and corn. Um, the other scary part of that is I've had Diflex at like a half ounce per acre rate move half a mile. Uh, for whatever yep. reason, Diflex moves like crazy. But um, the other thing too, you know, we've got guys that are like, well, it's like you said, you know, we're going to try cereal rye and that's going to be the our answer. Um, the scary thing with water hemp is it, it likes to basically emerge from planting all the way through the end of the year. And, you know, we've got fields that had two passes in corn and they had some emergence issues or we got frosted off and we left it. And those are full water hemp still. Um, and they had a really good residual full rate down, come back with another pass with Roundup and Diflex. And now their water hemp's coming back in them. Um, and I, I visited the cornfield bathroom yesterday and I uh, walked into a field of some corn that the different area place I'm not normally in. Um, you could tell they planted green into a standing cover crop because it had seed heads on it. And I got back in the truck and I looked at the my uh, partner and I was just like, uh, holy water hemp. I mean, it's just there may be a foot tall, um, but. You know, even cover crops, they're going to come through. And yeah, I'm sure this guy probably put a early post application down or just sprayed it once or twice and that's it. And yeah, it's water hemp's coming back. I've had four inch water hemp that has seed on it. So the biggest struggle is now we have a weed we got to manage through the season. And I am, we're never going to get ahead of it just doing what we're doing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're not going to go out with 2,4-D at brown silk and try to spray them either. Um, it's just it's something we're just going to have to deal with every year. Um, and I think guys are going to have to get into that 
mindset of we can't do one pass in soybeans. And even if we're doing two passes, both of them should have residual on it. Um, and the same thing with corn, we used to do a lot of guys would get away with putting a half rate of uh, residual down pre and then coming back at V5 with roundup and status or whatever your flavor is. And then no residual in that. Um, you got to get away from those programs even too, which is kind of scary. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, huh. it's kind of exhausting to think about because I mean, you know, um, <laughs> There's, there's a divide. I think I like the idea of, of cover crops, you know, and maybe an opportunity with carbon markets, you know, I mean, be careful everyone before you sign the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sign up for a 10 or 20 year commitment. That was like the initial ones. Well, right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, not to mention the guys that have tried it and, and aren't, you know, or have been doing it and aren't getting, yeah. you know, they're like, they're like, you know, I'm bought into this and I'm, I'm not going to get a dime because I've been doing it. Oh my gosh. But, Oh, there's so many things to cover crops. I mean, it is <laughs> the United States in the 21st century is full of division. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're voting for or what your opinion on COVID is. The other one in our geography is cover crops. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's unreal. It's like, I mean, you've got people, you know, even in confronting each other oh this is stupid you know your stuff looks like crap you know and oh you're spending all this money on chemicals and and i i think it's a great tool um you know i've personally seen i mean i can i can think of firsthand uh, some of the cleanest fields in our area are stereo rye but um you know i mean there are people that are putting down you know 60 70 pounds or a bushel an acre and um we've seen some success um you know, planting green and letting it grow for a couple of weeks before you terminate it. Now I know you got to get in there. I think 10 days to 14 days, you know, post planting, you don't see a yield penalty. Um, I've got a customer that's actually done uh, published studies through practical farmers of Iowa. Um, seems like after 14 days, you know, you're, it can cost some bushels on soybeans pretty quickly. Um, that seemed to work. Um, but I think the awareness as a whole, because, you know, alluding to what you talked about before, Kyle, um, you know, dad talks about the first year round of beans, you know, came out. He said, if it was under the boom, it was dead. <laughs> you know, 22 ounces, 16 ounces. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that was, that was just the catch all. And, um, you know, he even had guys growing, he talks about growing a group three soybean, which I mean, group three soybeans, um, is probably you know our our maturity groups about uh one eight to two six is kind of our our wheelhouse um down here and people were going group threes just to get the roundup because man if it didn't matter how tall it was it was it was gone and and just to see that technology well and the funny thing was that was when roundup came out there was a yield drag i mean there was like a five bushel hit just to plant roundup beans so guys were giving up five bushels just to have good weed control. Oh, certainly. You know, when we talk about enlist, uh, I'd say maybe last year, it, Wisconsin's done some trials. Everybody's done trials. And it appears that there's a little bit of a yield drag. Now, I wouldn't even say yield drag. We'll just say that the trait was put into some beans that aren't the newest genetics just because it's such an old, I mean, it was out for six years for waiting for approval 
So I think the yep. first year it came out, it wouldn't, it wasn't really even a yield drag. We just had some varieties that weren't up to par as far as genetics goes. Um, and guys are, I think even what were we two, three years into this and guys are kind of like, well, if I lose a bushel and I have queen fields, I'll take a bushel or two bushel hit. Um, but I don't even think it's going to be that much just because some of these fields that have weed issues, if we get those under control, we could gain yield. So yeah. I, I think the enlist varieties have kind of matched. Now we're starting to match the genetics with the trade finally. So yeah, I'm not I, afraid I would, of selling them. We're, we're seeing that same thing um, in our lineup. I don't, I don't even think, I think there were good enlist varieties for sale this year. I just don't think we had that kind of whole farm solution. Does that make sense? Like, yep. um, oh, yeah. The, yeah. So, so, I mean, last year I had a customer um, grow uh, a two foreign list for seed stock in, I mean, they were gangbusters. I mean, like 86 bushels across 160, um, you know, that genetic family really liked to branch, um, probably responded a little bit from getting smoke from dicamba mid season, you know, get a little PGR in India. Um, <laughs> um yeah, as I look forward to next year, you know, I mean, last year, what what we offered in our lineup is they always say that we won't we won't have a bean just to have a bean. You know, we we straight up we had a a one nine, a, a two four, and a two eight last year that we were comfortable putting out in the marketplace. And this year, you know, we'll have that full, you know, about every you know point two or whatnot of a. a in the the genetics are are certainly exciting. I. I've seen a lot of confidence in the list system. I, I think that that's really going to go well. Um, in our geography, I think we're really heavy seed corn. So, um, you know, like I said, self-proclaimed seed corn capital of the world. Um, there's one of like four Oxbow retail locations. Um, with that, you know, with a lot of the seed corn inbreds, you know, does come a lot of, you know, maybe one of the parents will be non-GMO. So we do have just an incredible amount of, uh, whether it be Diflex or status going on corn. And I'm not going to lie. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the EPA does with the Dicamba label. Um, you know, I, I'm i not proud to admit it. Um, you know, for my Liberty guys, you know, we sold a lot of Extend Flex just because, people didn't want to look at cupped beans all year. And I really yep. think, uh, I, I don't want to lose the choices, but I really think we have to look hard at Dicamba um, because, you know, just the, the bias between the, the soybean labels and the corn labels, you know, we, in seed corn, you know, um, with the really sensitive chemical programs, you know, you can put drops on and go in and spray seed corn you know, about as liberally as you want with no buffers, no restrictions. Um, and, you know, as a lot of the ICU extension agronomists have alluded, you know, that's, you know, everybody wants to say, you know, extend a max, dicamba, you know, in, in a lot of it's in our area um, coming from the corn, you know. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that. <laughs> Diflex for whatever, it, I don't know why. Um, that formulation just it wants to move um and you know nobody really sprayed much in our area for extend max it really, really just 
didn't happen. Um, and those who did it, you know, we won't even talk about the label on those, but um, I, I think it, it just appears like the, the move to Diaflex because it, you know, it, it mixes easier. It, it's a liquid versus a dry product with status. Um, it just seems like as co-ops and farmers have moved more towards Diaflex, we've been seeing more and more uh, movement of dicamba in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And like you said too, I mean, I've noticed it. I, I put out a podcast episode this morning and when I recorded that, I was talking about, um, you know, vaccines, all this stuff. You know, I've got guys that are like, I didn't even want to talk to my best friend anymore because he doesn't want to get a vaccine or he wants to get a vaccine, whatever their position is on it. Yeah, It's like the whole point of having friends and, and knowing people is that you accept criticism and let them, you know, you, you're looking for advice and you have a network and oh, that's, yeah. that's kind of the worst thing for your network is to just shut off half of them because of their viewpoints and what they think. Um, you know, and it's cover crops are the same way here too. Some guys are just like, I, I, I can't believe those guys ever use cover crops. And then you got the cover crop guys saying, I don't know how you can farm. You're a terrible farmer. If you don't want to protect the soil and, and use cover crops. And I'm like, well, they're they're inline ripping and no you know it's not no till but it's minimum till it's not like they're the worst person in the world for doing what they think is right either so right I think oh yeah the the only way you're going to get your point across is by being being able to accept some change and it sounds like every piece of equipment that the town of Waukesha or city of Waukesha has is outside my house right now. <laughs> They're actually they're just cleaning our street. I pulled up my ring camera. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But no, I just, that, that's the thing. I, I guess it boggles my mind is how you can just shut off half your network be, based on their viewpoints. And I mean, yeah, it, it's the same thing with the election and everything else. That's mm -hmm. probably the worst thing that I've noticed in the last, I don't know, year, 18 months is that for whatever reason, guys are just like, you have a different opinion than me. I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Um, and, and that's why, you know, okay. So for whoever's listening out there, I mean, <laughs> I would love to just give an encouragement. I mean, like, like this is the land of the free, the home of the brave. You are absolutely allowed to hold some opinions, you know, personal, well, personal opinions. You're absolutely allowed to hold, you know, I mean, be open-minded. I mean, I think we are, I am witnessing unfold just an, a really unfortunate situation where I, I think we see people really like to get in echo chambers. Yeah. How do you grow? How do you grow? How does your circle grow <laughs> when, when you only communicate and talk to people that agree with anything to you? You're really just having a conversation with yourself. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, like straight up. So, I mean, the amount of division that that we see in you know friend groups deteriorate in my encouragement is go there have that conversation with maybe an old friend that you or somebody that's in your circle that you disagree with because we all have a testimony we all have a story right um that we've got a personal conviction inside us or we have a personal testimony Share that story with somebody that does, you don't agree with and hear their story because we all have something festering that, you know, whether it be cover crops, whether it be, 
the way that we vote, whether it be our stance on vaccines. You know, we all have a people we trust or media source we trust. I would encourage you to do your research and getting your opinions from credible sources. But what is credible source anymore? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think <sighs> I, when I was a kid. And it is a thorn in my side. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, it was we had to we didn't have the Internet to form arguments. So you had to remember things and be able to you know, have a conversation with somebody and use use what you know as as you're a you're basically your base for your your side of your argument, and you never always won. You you you're not going to change everybody's mind either. The funny thing is, if you get into any kind of argument with somebody now, if if they can't change your mind, they're like mad. It's like, well, I can't believe you you won't see my side of this. It's like, well, I completely understand your side of this argument, but at the same point, we're not going to change each other's opinion. This is how I feel. That's how you feel. That's fine. You know, you can have your own opinion. I have mine and we just move on and people just can't move on. They get so mad. And that's, I think, a big thing is, you know, the Internet's made it so easy to win an argument. Um there's times where I have an opinion about something and somebody goes on the internet on their phone and they're like, see, you're wrong. I found a hundred articles that show that you're wrong. I'm like, that's fine. But my opinion is this still is the way it is. And if you want to believe what they say, that's fine. It's okay. And they're just mad as hell because I'm not agreeing <laughs> with them, but that's, that's the thing. I think the internet's made it so easy to win an argument. Um, it was funny when I, uh, it was a few years ago. Have you ever seen the college humor did a thing? Um, and it was if Google was a guy. <laughs> yeah. Watch those. There's, oh my gosh. There's one where um, I can't remember what the girl says. She comes in and she's like, uh, what the heck did she say? Something causes cancer. And he's like, well, I have a hundred articles that say that it doesn't, but one that says it does. And the girl goes, I knew it. And she grabs the one article. And it's just, that's the thing. It's like, you can, you can find anything that spot like sponsors your argument on the internet. Uh, you can find people posting on blogs or, or posting videos on YouTube or even TikTok now that backs your argument. Um, the funniest thing for me lately has been the TikTok, you know, we're going to destroy our crops and the government's paying us money to do it argument. <laughs> And they're like, we just, we're trying to prove how dumb people are. And half the time is the people that you see like taking it and running with it are the people that are like, you know, vaccines are the government's trying to control us and all this stuff that are basically the same things that people that are posting this would agree with. And it's like, you're not really helping your cause. I think you're hurting your cause by trying to do this and trying to prove people from the city are idiots because they don't understand what we do is really the wrong way to go about it. Um, yeah. I don't think they would, they're going to support farmers if we're out there trying to make them look like dumbasses most of the time. Sure. Um, to me, it's just, it's a terrible thing to do. Um, there's a lot better ways to get people to agree with us or understand that maybe we know what we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's funny. I, I really don't understand that whole TikTok um argument that these guys are trying to do we're we're gonna you know basically we're making up the fact that the government's trying to look at our usda letter well i have one too at some point i can pull up with my name on it and 
Yeah, they're they're not telling people to destroy crops. Yeah, dude, we live in an era of the most accessible information. And you can also information in air quotes. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm a product of public education, which could be good or bad. But like, man, I just remember one of the things I always talk about, like like the cram studying. You, you do for tests and then like kind of the big life principles. And, and I am thankful for um, just a, a limited amount of education and reliability of sources. Now, like I said, even with the incredible amount of bias, our, our mainstream news sources have nowadays, you know, their credibility is even, you know, in jurisdiction, but, you know, you talked about something causes cancer. I mean, yeah, that Google, like, Oh, this causes cancer. Well, I mean, gosh, look at the website domain. It's, Let's say it's Roundup Causes Cancer. Well, if you get your article from roundupcausescancer.com, it's like, wow, <laughs> good one. <laughs> you know, like Yeah, and it's it's funny to see <laughs> Bear pulling the the Roundup consumer brand pretty much. And everybody's like, look, you know, it's this great thing. And then they're gonna go to Menards or Home Depot or wherever, and they're gonna see another product that's a generic made by home grow or whatever the brand is. And it'll say broadleaf and grass weed killer. And the number one ingredient is 41% glyphosate. It's just, that's the thing. It's not a testament to the power of the people though. I mean, I mean, (laughs) they are, how many times, and even you even look at the EU, the EU just came out within the past few months and said, again, Roundup is safe, but you know, people get this preconceived notion in, you know, I mean, you know, almost relaying back into the seed game, look how much, pressure bears an organization's feeling because of these roundup lawsuits, which have been proven time in time, in time, in time, in time, 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 in time, again, that it's a safe product, but the people are so powerful to yeah. force their hand. Well, and it's the, there was a study somebody did. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. I've talked about this before. It's that they asked, um, they asked a bunch of mothers what they looked at as a, a source of good information. And I think the number one thing that they trusted was other mothers. So if you have a mother at your school saying that you have to only feed your kid organic and, you know, you have a mother that says Roundup's causing cancer and you got another mother that, you know, basically whatever everybody else tells you to do, you have to feel that pressure um, you know, like most mother groups, it's kind of like whatever the most popular one tells you to do is that's what you got to do. If you don't do it, you're going to like kick kicked out of your social group. <laughs> um, and that's the same thing. It's funny to, to have guys kind of fight that in agriculture, but at the uh-huh. same point, if your neighbor tells you, you know, this hybrid is the best hybrid ever. And you got a salesman sitting in your shop and he's telling you otherwise, they're like, well, you're a bunch, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. My neighbor told me this. And I'm like, you know, we almost use that jump off the bridge argument. It's like, do you really want to farm just like your neighbor? Because last year you said he was an idiot and he didn't know what he was (laughs) doing. So you're going to trust everything he says. Um, That's the same thing with plot data. You know, I have so many guys that are like, I don't want to put a plot in. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, at the end of the year, make sure you give me this guy's plot data. And then you're like, all right, well, here's the plot data from the neighbor or whatever it is. And he's like, well, I don't really trust that because it wasn't on my farm. Well, what the heck? <laughs> <Yes. You know? laughs> so, I mean, 
that's the thing. It's just like, we, we speak out of both sides of our mouth a lot. Um, and to me, I, I got to trust what other people do, but at the same point, um, I got to get out and, and kind of do my own research on what I see. And we had a thing, um, there was some data that was done a study, um, this year, it was like 60, over 60% of farmers want to do their own research online or anywhere on the internet or through Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, um, on hybrids and, and what products they want to use in their farm. And the same point of that is, you know, where are you getting your data from? So there's, there's a lot of, there's one chemical company here that posts research, quote unquote, that they're, they're going to gain 15 bushels by using their herbicide options. And Mm -hmm. when you read into it and agronomist like me that reads it and I don't sell chemicals and I'm looking at this and I'm like, all right, well, your product contains atrazine and you're comparing it to four other products that you didn't add atrazine to get them to what I would call an equivalent rate. So how is that even a fair comparison? And then and they're showing that their product had a five bushel yield increase on fungicide last year. It's like five bushels doesn't pay for the application. You know, (laughs) even at $5 corn, it's not going to pay for the application. So what the heck is the point? But that's the thing we, I know I have a website um, and I've got to kind of refocus that a little bit too. And that's the thing that I guess makes sense to me is I got to be able to put that information out. Um, I follow the the head of marketing for uh, John Deere. She posts a lot of stuff. She's like their social media manager and I can't remember her name offhand. Jen Hartman. She's awesome. Yeah. She posted a thing this morning about how that there was like 2 million hours of video put on YouTube every day. And there's in our life or in a year, we see like 760,000 minutes of advertising pop up on our computers and She's like, if you're not constantly posting things or changing or adding new things that basically you're going to get lost in the clutter. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's a funny thing in going from retail where we put out a ton of things every, pretty much every day they're updating Facebook and doing all this stuff. And then you go to a, being a self-promoter, which is kind of where you and I are at, yep. and you got to kind of think about that in the same way of, you know, maybe I'm got to rethink my advertising. It doesn't cost me any money to post a video on TikTok. It doesn't cost me any money to post a video on, on YouTube. It doesn't cost me anything to post stuff on Facebook. And um, I mean, my website costs me $200 a year and it hosts my podcast and everything else. To me, that as somebody who's not, you know, I'm a self employed person I've got to be in that space and I got to be putting content out. The The scary thing for me is I'll listen to this about four times before I post it. And I'm going to be like, man, I don't know if I really like what I said here. But then at the same <laughs> point, it's like, is it as important that I don't necessarily like what I put out and maybe there might be 10% of my customer base that doesn't agree with me, or is it more important that I get content out and Hey, if they don't agree with me, call me and let's talk about it. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing that I've kind of came to the realization in the last year is it's almost more important to get something out than it is to sit and nitpick and try to think about, pick it apart and try to figure out where you did something wrong. And I've got to get to that point. And I've 
tried to get to that point lately that I'm just putting content out, you know, it's good or bad, whatever it is, we just, we're getting it out there. Um, yeah. And I, it, it's kind of weird and scary, but I think um, it's just important to get things out. I would, I would agree a thousand percent. I mean, you, you just got to get in front of people, you know, and, and um, you know, as you and I think about being independent salespeople, you know, I mean, they talk about the seed sale days of the 70s and 80s. If you, if you had a hat and an ink pen to, to hand out, you know, you were going to get a, a pity order, you know. <laughs> and and now as we think about the farmer of the future, I mean, look at look at how people are using other medias, you know, whether it be YouTube, TikTok, et cetera. You know, social media, you know, Facebook almost seems like like the old school way now, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, the only people that are on Facebook are the old people. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, got to see what so and so is doing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it it uh, it's definitely an interesting time in, in agriculture as we kind of transition um, a lot of so a lot of what we're doing right now in in our business. You know, I would say. Um, is more traditional forms of media because those are the people that are still making decisions is the 40 to 65 year olds um, are writing a lot of the checks. But if you think about, you know, hopefully the next generation, um, please United States government (laughs) continue to make make them able to actually take over the farm. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. (laughs) We need stepped up basis. We need stepped up basis. I can't say it enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We, the, the farmer of the future, um, you know, you think about the 18 year olds, the 15 year olds right now. I mean, they're, they are, they're TikTok and they're, they're Snapchatting. Um, You know, I, I could not believe how good of feedback I got this spring you know, um, we had a dry spring posting on my story about um, inadequate planter downforce. Um, the sidewall would deteriorate and dry dirt fall in on top of the seed. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I posted on my Snapchat story and the amount of people, oh my gosh, wow, you know, like, like I had no idea, you know, and, and how that's going to affect emergence. I mean, that's just a simple, but you don't really think about it. You know, you don't think about posting that stuff to Snapchat. Or um, I'm not a TikToker yet. I guess maybe I should be. <laughs> but uh, I don't. Know, how are you using that? How are you leveraging that in your business, Kyle? It's, I guess. So I always say I'm my own worst critic, pretty much. Um, the funny thing is, I, I write a. I've been writing a newsletter every two weeks for uh, since 2009, and. There's guys that like that. Um, and then if I send it to other reps just to kind of give me some editing and, and kind of advice on what they think, every single person has a different opinion. And I was kind of trying to please everybody at the same point. And I got to the point this year where it's just like, I don't even need the feedback. I basically just let one person check my grammar and that's about it. Um, you know, you know, and the funny thing is, it's, it's, I think it's more about just getting stuff out, you know, and, and try to, 
for me, it's like, all right, so I've got a TikTok, I got a Facebook page, I have a Twitter page, I've got a YouTube page, we've got our website, we got our podcast. What I'm trying to do, because it's just it's impossible to make. God, I mean, I can make a video every single day for each single one of them, and I'm still not going to be doing enough. Um, the best thing I can do is I'm trying to make. I try to make longer videos in the past. Usually my videos were 10, 15 minutes. And now it's trying to become the master of making a under two minute video that I can post on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all at the yeah. same time. And honestly, I could post a 15 minute YouTube video. I might get 30, 40 plays on it. And when you look at the actual amount of time somebody watched it, it's probably a matter of like five minutes. Our short attention spans really, I think TikTok's really making that happen now. You got to yeah. kind of try to cram 15 minutes worth of stuff into a two minute video anymore. And that's kind of the way I've been going. Um, yeah. Which is fine because, you know, then you think you're like, wow, I did this 15 minute video and, and somebody's only really going to pay attention to two minutes of it anyway. So what's important and what do I get to say? And it's almost kind of helps when you start talking to farmers. Um, when I was working in retail as a kid, I worked at Kmart and my dad said at one point, he goes, ah, oh, you're like the master of the 32nd conversation. It's like, <laughs> I kind of, Got to get back to that a little bit when we start doing sales calls, because, you know, if I'm pulling on somebody's farm, you're not going to get an hour every time you're going to get maybe a couple minutes while they have some time and trying to figure out how to cram a half hour, an hour sales call on the 15 minutes and let them talk at the same time is kind of hard to do, but you're starting to kind of learn it. So right. I think you pick up a lot of stuff by just doing it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing is it's hard to get guys to change that mindset. You know, I've got people that have been selling for 40 years and you're going to go out and tell them how to change. They're, they're not going to change. And then they have their customer base. Those guys have been selling seed for 40 years. They got a pretty loyal base. And the biggest thing for me is trying to get those guys that they're underserving and, and trying to come out with different things. Um, you know, and I mean, you guys do consulting, I do some, or I do consulting and the biggest thing around here, um, consultants always are trying to set themselves apart from everybody else. And they've mm -hmm. really latched onto the cover crop, no-till thing. And to me, that's not exactly different when they're all doing that. Um, and even yeah. retail is buying into that now. So I'm like... I don't want to be the cover crop guy. I want to be the guy that talks about, you know, farm profitability, you know, and makes what they have and what they want to do work. Um, and we don't make our customers feel bad for doing what they want to do. Um, and that yeah. has been working really well. We're kind of a little bit of a different, uh, a different breath of fresh air for guys that they don't really want to, I got about half. It's kind of like what we said. It's about half and a half, you know, half the guys don't want to do cover crafts. The other half guys do. And I think you kind of set yourself in a corner when you say cover crops are the way. And if you don't use cover crops, you're a terrible farmer. So then <laughs> half the market's gone. 
And yep. to me, I'd rather have the whole market and there's, you know, that 20, 30% that I'm never going to do business with anyway. Um, one thing I've got, um, I'm trying to hold this back without saying too much, but <laughs> I'm doing a campaign with guys, um, you know, as a, a consultant, one of the things I've talked to guys about is, you know, you're writing a $200,000 check or whatever it is to the, to the retailer and you're basically going on their word. You wouldn't buy somebody's house going on their word. You know, when I bought my house, the guy who we bought it from, he wrote on our big whiteboard in the kitchen that they had done the roof five years ago and they were 20 year shingles. And cause I had a complaint and we, I was like, I don't think the roof's going to last that long. It doesn't look that good. And then when we met him in person, he said they were 30 year shingles. And then he told the home inspector they were 40 year shingles. Oh my so God. You're not going to buy a house without getting a home inspection. Why would you give the co-op $200,000 every year without having somebody else give you a second opinion? You know? I yeah. Just- that's, that's really, really good. That's, that's a great I like that. I'm probably going to steal that. So (laughs) (laughs) steal it over there. Just don't steal it over here. (laughs) No, you're wow. Yeah, that's you're hundred percent right. I mean, the amount of business I think that gets the amount of dollars of business that get handled, what I would call kind of haphazardly, (laughs) you know, in in our geography because farmers farmers like to be right. Farmers like self-affirmation. Oh, you doing yep. business there? I'm doing business there. You know, and a lot of it's kind of old guard, you know, maybe somebody following that guy that's just the staple, you know, that sales ground that's been there for like 20 years, you know. Um, you know, check something different out, you know. I mean, yeah, get a second opinion, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we have retailers here that they sell one product line for chemicals. and you know, last year I was walking fields and I'm like, Hey guys, I really don't think prefix is the answer to all your weed control issues. We need to be looking at something with Zidua, basically the active ingredient in Zidua. And let's look at something we can put only on pre. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm having, I, I just, we got to figure this out. I got to change. I got to do something different. And then two months later, I'm, you know, sitting in front of them after we get done doing prepay. And I'm like, all right, so what did you guys get this year? Well, we're spraying that prefix stuff on the soybeans. The the sales guy says it's really good. I'm like, oh my God, we got to get away from this, you know? And then six months later in August of this year, we're like, oh God, prefix just didn't hold residual. We're not happy with it. Like we're right back in the same boat we were in last year. And I told you to do something different and they talked you back into the same program because it's easy for them because they can spray it pre or post. And that's the only reason they're going with it. And it's falling in line with you spray hacker on, on your corn, you're spraying prefix on your beans. And then when you use fungicide, you're going out with whatever fungicide Syngenta's up with this year. And, you know, when you guys want to spray your soybeans with fungicide and we have spider mite issues, they're spraying warrior plus whatever fungicides in Genesis health. And I'm like, you're going to flare spider mites because you guys don't want to use hero. Um, I just don't <laughs> understand it, but that's the thing. It's the co-op is kind of stuck on that. We have a lot of retailers here. One has, I mean, if it's, if Monsanto or bear didn't make it, they don't want to sell it. 
and I got one that Syngenta didn't make it. They don't want to sell it. And, you know, I got guys that accuse me of, well, you just like Resicor because it's a Corteva product. And I'm like, no, I think Resicor is a really good corn herbicide. You know, it's a really good soybean herbicide, Zidua. You know, who makes that? BASF. I'm like, it's just, yep. you know, I don't care what the chemical family is, but we'll make it work. But I don't really hold brand to one brand because I think they all have something good to offer. I don't, oh, absolutely. I don't think Acheron's a terrible chemical. Um, and I don't think Prefix is terrible either, but I think there's better options out there. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't push what the retailers get the highest margin on. <laughs> Hopefully, there's no Syngenta reps listening. <laughs> well, it's not that I hate Syngenta, and it's not no, that I hate beer. coming out of Syngenta. It's just you know, I mean, they obviously have the highest margin, which is why retail wants to. <laughs> the, well, the problem with so I've been you know I've been around Syngenta chemicals since my uh intern days basically when lumax came out and callisto came out and we had a lot of seed growers in northwest indiana and they were like oh my gosh we can spray something else on our corn and it's safe um but the problem with me with like Sanjana is man i mean acheron what's what's an acheron dual callisto and atrazine plus bicyclopyrone that's all it's added to it yeah that was in lumax dual <laughs> callisto and atrazine I mean, they've been riding that pony for almost 20 years now. Right. You know, guys are like, well, they're coming out with this new thing. It's called Acheron Flexi or Acheron XR. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the same crap. Dude, you could boil down this entire conversation to some pretty simple concepts. (laughs) Do your own research and educate yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Be willing to listen to voices that aren't an echo chamber. (laughs) Um, And don't stick on the status quo. Wow. It ends. (laughs) Rogue Rogue Agronomist Podcast. (laughs) There you go. There's There's our mission statement. And I think, well, I put out a podcast this morning about, you know, run your business or farm as a business. Yeah. And I got a lot of guys that are probably like, why wow, he's kind of a dink because he, he thinks I don't run my farm as a business. And I'm like, we complain about a lot of things and we, we get really emotionally tied up with stuff, but it's still a freaking business. I mean, I know, you know, if I was running my family farm, you know, you'd have that pressure of, you know, my grandpa did it this way. And my grandpa always said, said this, sure. but I also don't, I don't want to be my grandpa either. Cause my grandpa, when, before he passed away, he was like, oh yeah, we just put a hundred pounds of triple 13 down and some anhydrous and hundred bushel corn was pretty good. Yeah. Things have changed and, you know, it's still a business. I came from a line of entrepreneurs. My dad owns his own business and, you know, my grandpa farmed plus he ran another business and you know, we never really got caught up in that. We are always kind of, you know, we were independent thinkers and what was right for us. It didn't, it's keeping that business going. It's not, you know, trying to hold on to tradition. And there's a lot of guys that really hung on tradition. My grandpa always used to use new Hong Kong combines. So I'm going to have new Hong Kong combines and then you buy one and it's the worst combine you ever had in your life. <laughs> and you're just like, well, I guess when the new one comes out, we'll try to try that one out. And it's like, man, it's like buying a Dodge pickup truck. He's just like, why do you keep kicking yourself in the nuts? 
No. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I'm not even a Dodge guy. And I, I just like, feel bad for anybody who is a Dodge guy. Cause they're probably like, like that meme of the guy staring himself in the mirror right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I don't hate Dodge pickups, but. You, you know, got like a 15 inch the screen on the freaking <laughs> dash, man. I love you said earlier about extension spans being short. Gosh, just give the people <laughs> what they want. I have like a computer in my pickup truck. <laughs> I actually, I mean, I really think God, I wish GM would come out with that option that Dodge has on the bed where they have like those the truck boxes built into the bed. Oh, the Ram box. Yeah, those are cool. And I mean it's just a lot of that stuff. It's like, wow, that's cool. This is cool. What's the transmission again? Oh, damn it. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I, I'm kind of colorblind and I'm usually brand blind a little bit too. Um, we all have our biases and what we think is, is good and what's not. And, but I'd look at a Dodge if they changed a few things and I'd look at, you know, I had a Ford for three years. Um, I actually had two Fords for a couple of years and I really liked them. Uh, but then when I got my first newer style GM, it's like, well, they fixed all the stuff I complained about with the last ones. And now I have two GM trucks again. And, but I think you gotta kind of be that way. I, that's the thing. I got guys that are like, I only buy red tractors. That's fine. And since my tractors are red, I have to buy a red planner. And it's like, well, <laughs> maybe a, blue one would be fine you know i just i really well, like john deere tractors I and <laughs> on facebook would like look weird <laughs> i just think you know i mean if to me if it was the survivability of my business or my brand loyalty to something i would choose my survivability of my business over brand loyalty um and that's i think where we run into, I, I run into it with seed and you probably run into it the same way. It's like 25 years ago, I planted pioneer and that stuff was wet. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, like, what the, what the happened to you? What show me on this doll where pioneer touched you. <laughs> the, the most fun thing out in our geography is uh pioneer always blows flat because I, I'm pretty sure some of the, uh, some of the, Pioneer genetics of like the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, I, I think they just kind of had a robust plant type. I've, I think they were just kind of jungle corn, probably through a yep. monster year. And when the wind blew, it went flat. Right. So you, you still hear like, you know, so, so we <clears throat> Bex offers, you know, a lot of the major genetic suppliers. So our, our XL brand is Corteva based genetics and, Mm -hmm. You know, you get like, oh man, you know, is that a white cob or, oh, is that going to blow flat? You know, and it's like, it's like, dude, what we're seeing out of the bear genetics now is that's going to be your green snappers and your blow flat. <laughs> All you remember is this thing from when grandpa was farming, you know, like. Yep. Well, the like, funny dude, thing is, it's, it's funny, like we were talking about cycles and if you ask my grandpa, um, I mean, the first time I ever wore a DeKalb hat to a family gathering my grandpa was like you better burn that thing the kelp sucks i was like grandpa when did you plant the kelp he's all oh, 1988 said the freaking drought year he's well the worst corn i ever grew that was the only time i ever planted the kelp 
And it's just like, you know, back then they were like, oh, the cow was terrible. XL45 was good, but that was about it. And they just didn't have anything and they sucked. And now you got this generation where the cow is king and everything else really sucks. And yeah, I, you got to get beyond that perception. Um, you know, I, I have customers or, well, I had a prospect once, this is probably seven or eight years ago. I called on the guy and he's like, oh, your company, I'm never going to buy from. I said, okay, what was your complaint? He said, well, in 1970, whatever, they screwed me over and that branch manager they had. And he tells me the name and I'm like, that guy retired 10 years ago. (laughs) Him and him and this Jerry guy. And I'm like, Jerry retired five years ago. Like there is literally no one there. It's a totally different company than it was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm still never going to buy from him. And then for me, I'm the kind of person that um, at one point in my career, I switched jobs and I got threatened with, a, uh, basically, I got a cease and desist on a non-compete clause. That's fine. And now yeah. I'm helping farm and we're, you know, what is it, five, six years later, and we're buying all our inputs from that guy or that company. I could oh, be really, really wow. upset and be like, screw them. I'm never buying from them ever again. But when we look at their options, that was the best place to buy from for us. I'm not going to give up you know, 10 bushels every year, just because I'm mad at that company from five, six years ago, you know, we, we kind of set our piece and moved on and now we're back there and everything's fine and it's okay. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not going to sit here for 30 years and just tell everybody how terrible of a company they are. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up my bottom line to go somewhere else just for a point of principle, you know, that, four or five years of not going there. That's enough of a, enough of an opinion to be like, all right, you get it. That's my point. You, you lost money for four or five years. Let's get, just move on. And it's just funny how that works, but I think I got a lot of guys would be better served by kind of realizing things change, people change, you know, you got to kind of get rid of those previous biases you might've had. And yeah. look at what's good for your bottom line. Run your farm like a business, right? Yeah, oh. pretty much. It's a freaking business. <laughs> How many? Oh man, dude, I have so many. I have so many follow-up comments. One, okay, so we're talking about hybrids. We're talking about hybrids. Um, are you seeing in your geography the the plot night is dying because at the end of the day, people just come for the ribeye sandwich and don't care about the hybrids because you're just going to tell them what to plan anyways right yeah and i think i mean it's i would even say 15 years ago it was more of a social event than a i want to buy something event um yeah. i think that you know i rod Ostis put out a thing about i think the guy was a spectrum dealer or whatever in indiana and he kind of went away from those plot days and they just had a customer appreciation event that had zero seed sales, nothing. It was just like, thanks for your business, you know, or come and eat some food and maybe we'll talk at some point. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of that's gone away. So we're trying to figure out ways of getting guys to look at things without, um, without holding those events. But yeah, I, it's I put out a, a podcast episode about seed signs and it's so funny to have guys are like, I don't care what 
you know, what hybrid you have, you know, nobody gives a crap about seed signs. And then two weeks later, Hey, what's in that guy's field? <laughs> I drove by, it looks really good from the road. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to put a seed sign on it tomorrow. Well, I don't, those are things are dumb. Nobody pays attention to those, but what's in that guy's field. And it's like, all right, you know, I've got a lot of guys that I think seed signs are more important than what guys give credit for. Um, I got a lot of guys that I have reps I've worked with or know that are just like, nobody cares about seed signs. And then you put a bunch of them out and then I get phone calls. You know, it's just like, people still care about that stuff. I mean, it it seems like a waste of my time to some people, but yeah, put on a hundred seed signs is it takes me a few days. And to me, it's a source of a sense of pride when I put one out, you know, I, 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 told one of our reps I, I started a hashtag and it was like if if you like it you should have put a sign on it and that's kind of what we've been doing we put signs on everything we liked and you know there's some signs i don't have out because i have a one township that's got like an anti-sign clause now this year but um no way yeah so they have so there is a county ordinance that says you can't put seat signs in the public right away so technically that's within 33 feet of the road center. So that, that eliminates like 90% of my fields. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. And the only reason they did this was there is a, a, there's a controversial thing going on in that town. And basically everybody had signs in their front yard and the people on the opposite side of that complained so much about the signs that the town chairman said, we're going to finally enforce this. And it's like, all right. So now I guess we're not putting seed signs out over there. The funny thing is I, I seed signed every road. <laughs> so there's about four roads that I have fields on that one side is in a different township. And the other side is in that township. The other side of the road has signs like crazy. <laughs> like I tripled the signs on that side of the road. <laughs> and, you know, farm right next to the town chairman, pretty much like, within earshot of the guy's place. And I'm like, I really want to put a sign right at the end of the driveway and be like, Hey, challenge me on this. Go take it down. Seriously. Oh my God. Yeah. I That's just, crazy. I've never, I've never heard of, of that before. No, no. Uh, I mean, there's, there's individual guys that say no signs usually yeah. because they like, <laughs> or somebody left it out all winter or for five I, years or so and it looked ratty or there's, uh, <laughs> there's freaking signs. I, I remember giving one guy crap. I said, you better take down your freaking seed signs that have been out since last year before I quit my last job. And that was three years ago. So there are seed signs that have been out. He has still not taken them down. They're still, they've been out for four years. That guy has been planting DeKalb soybeans and wheat the last couple of years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm gonna say, <laughs> I love the DeKalb soybeans. They're, they're my favorite really. 5438, I think is a pretty hot selling DeKalb soybean number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I sold the cow soybeans for a couple of years. They still had them when I first started. Um, no we still way. Agrigol or um, Asgro corn. Yeah. So my first couple of years, we had the cow 2752s. Uh, they were a two seven soybean. And then we had Asgro, the heck was it, 715, 674. There's like three or four hybrids that the cow kept on the lineup. Wow. So, yes, yeah, that- so I've sold Asgro corn. Or yeah, Astro corn and DeKalb soybeans in my career. Man, you are old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
oh yeah i've seen some things change and it's funny i'm like well, my birthday is saturday so i'll be 37 and i feel old but young at the same time <laughs> just depends on who i'm talking to that day wow happy happy early birthday yeah i already got my birthday present some jurassic park shoes so i am a total geek shoe man <laughs> not really my i i am like the anti new balance shoes guy i don't want to be that like 35 year old guy that's wearing white new balance shoes so <laughs> i have like two pairs of bright orange shoes and now i have jurassic park shoes because i am never gonna buy white new balance shoes white new balance oh man like this sp the special like lawn mowing pair and then like the nice pair <laughs> That's the pinnacle, man. That's the pinnacle. <laughs> That's when well, you know you need it. <laughs> now we're just talking about shoes. So I'll end the recording here. <laughs>